At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. What a great privilege it is to be gathered together in the house of God. Now, I just want to uh, allay any fears or any concerns. EJ announced that there are cookies in the lobby for ladies. I just want you to know I've prayed over the cookies that all the calories would go away. So we're going to see if God answers that prayer, but eat at your own risk. I tried to convince uh, the table back there that oatmeal raisin cookies are actually a health food, uh, but they did not believe me on that one. But a great day to be able to connect, and we pray that whether it's online, in your home, or here in our worship center that you would connect with us before uh, it's all said and done. Also, today's a special day because today we observe communion. And so if you are at home, this is uh, just an advanced announcement for you to gather those elements together. Later on, Pastor John Jelenic is going to come and lead us in the observation of the Lord's table. Uh, but I want to get right into my message today. I'm really excited uh, to conclude our study of 1 John. How many have enjoyed this study of 1 John and this whole series on love, learning to love again, understanding this forgotten virtue? Now, I got a good friend who uh, often reminds me that a good sermon consists of two parts, and that is a great beginning and a great ending, and what makes the sermon great is when you try to get those two as close together as possible. So I'm going to try to be quick and efficient. Some of you will get that joke later. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5 as we dive right into God's holy word. And it says here in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and again, let me just preface this by saying what John is really driving home is the beauty of the new birth, the beauty of the new birth, the birth we have in Christ. And he drives it home by saying these words, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You know, as I read this, I'm reminded of the week that has been marked in the Brooks household. This has been a week of celebration for our family. We have celebrated two great milestone moments this week. First is the 10th anniversary of the wonderful adoption of my oldest son, Cameron, who is creative and compassionate, who is athletic, even in times when he shouldn't be. He loves playing football, even in the house when his mom doesn't like it. But when she's away, daddy gives him a wink and a nod because I like it too. Uh, but I want to say thank God for Cameron. He has blessed our hearts and is such a blessing to our family. And then we celebrated the seventh birthday of my youngest son, Judah, who, by the way, is the coolest seven-year-old I know. And that is saying a lot because I know a number of really cool seven-year-olds. But Judah is the coolest by far. He is so loving. He is so tender, loves God, and loves 
loves his family. And it causes me to think, as I think about those great celebrations and think about what John is writing here about how beautiful a birth is, how wonderful a new baby is, what a, what a great celebration it is when a baby is born. And it's not just a blessing to the mom or the dead or the child, but if you've ever been connected to somebody who has uh, given birth to a new baby, it is a great time of celebration for the entire extended family. It's a great time of celebration for the community. As a pastor, one of the great moments that I get a chance to experience in doing life with our church family is when somebody is uh, giving birth to a new baby. It's a joyful moment that we all get a chance to celebrate in. And I think John would affirm that, but I think John would take it a bit further and say to us today that as great as natural birth is, as great as natural adoption is, far better, far greater is being born into the family of God and to be adopted into the spiritual household of faith through Jesus Christ. This is the central message of his theology. This is what he drives home in all of his gospel. You know, I was uh, listening to uh, a classic message by the great evangelist Billy Graham, and some of you have followed his ministry over the years, and you'll know that one of his most famous messages that he preached again and again all throughout the country and the world is the message, you must be born again. And that is the message of John, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, being born again. And if we would celebrate natural birth, how much more should you and I celebrate spiritual birth? How many know there is no greater blessing than being born into the family of God? How many believe that with all of your heart? But what makes you a child of God? I know that uh, one of the great questions that should arise in our hearts anytime we hear someone talk about being a part of God's family is, how do I know I'm a part of God's family? How can I be sure? How can I be certain? And this is why John writes. John writes not to produce insecurity in the believer, but to give us that blessed assurance, to affirm for us that we are his. Why? Because emotions are terrible influencers of of our assurance. You cannot base your assurance on how you feel any given moment or any day of the week. There are certain days you will wake up and not feel like you should, but feelings are, as I've said before, great servants, but very poor masters. No, he wants us to have a blessed assurance based off of something that is far more firm, and that is our connection to God through Jesus Christ. He wants us to know, but he he also wants the unbeliever to know that they are not in the body of Christ because one of the greatest uh, uh, fears or concerns that anyone should have is this whole fear of self-deception or being in delusionment, thinking that you are something you are not. Now, for John, he paints on a blank canvas, but he only uses two colors, black and white. For John, there is no gray, right? Uh, for us, we kind of put people into various gradations or categories between being good or bad, and most of that is based off of ideologies or social behavior. But, God, but John is saying, no, it's not based off of that. It is based off of one thing, and that is 
Have you been born again? Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Not off of good works, not off of social behavior, but off of a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, for John, if you have not yet been born again, then you are a part of the, the kingdom of, of darkness and death. You're a prisoner to those things. But Christ has come to set us free. And by being in Christ, by putting our faith in him, we go from being a prisoner to darkness and death to being free in the kingdom of light and the love of Jesus Christ. And so what is the big idea of this passage? It is simply this. It is the fact that uh, the new birth makes you a child of God. And he's going to give us three pieces of evidence to affirm whether or not we have been born again, we have experienced a new birth, and if we are truly a child of God. Now, the first one is seen in verse number one. Look at it with me. He's simply uh, reminding us that if you've been born again, you believe in Jesus. Look at the first part of this verse. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Now, what makes this powerful is that John is not writing to a predominantly Christian nation. He is not writing in a time where Christianity is the dominant religion of the world or even the culture that he's writing in. No, he is writing in a culture that is marked by paganism and polytheism. What is polytheism? It is the belief that there are many gods. What did Judaism introduce to the world and later on Christianity uh, champion? It was the thought that there is but one God, creator of heaven and earth, all-powerful, all-knowing, knowing I'm not present and I'm not benevolent, that he is all loving. But Christianity takes it further and says, but there's only one way to have access to this God. Only one way to know this God, and that is through faith. Faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Faith in Christ. What, what the scriptures tell us about who he uh, is what he has accomplished on our behalf. It is through faith in him that we have access to God. I share this with you because it is my job in many ways, and I think John saw it as his job to protect the flock against false versions of the truth. No doubt this uh, young flock that he's writing to would have heard competing messages. They would have heard from the Gnostics of their day that said that the material world is somehow evil and that the spirit world is the only thing that is good. Therefore, God could have never come in the flesh. They would have heard that. They would have heard competing messages about who the real Christ is. They would have heard about false messiahs. They would have heard competing messages about what is sin and what is not sin. But John relieves us from all of the confusion by grounding our faith in God's word. The word written and the word made flesh. You see, for John, salvation is experienced through faith. Now, this belief, though, this, this faith is not just intellectualism. It is not some cold or distant affirmation of a set of truths. Though we do affirm doctrinal truth, though we do affirm the teachings of Scripture, no, this faith has to do with a relational trust that causes us to put our hopes or our confidence in someone other than ourselves. Do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe enough to trust him? To trust him as being the only source for the forgiveness of your sins or 
do you still have confidence in your ability to save you? Your ability to somehow get, your, get yourself ready to stand before a holy God. You see, John understood belief as confidence and relational trust. It's kind of like that seat you're sitting in. When you came in today, you demonstrated your confidence, your relational trust in that seat and that you put your full weight on it. You were confident that that seat would hold you or you would have never sat in it. But the fact that you're sitting down in that seat means that you are confident in it. You have trust in it. You have faith. Well, in the same way, my friends, he doesn't want us just to be able to talk to talk. He wants us to walk to walk. He wants us to put our full trust in him so that we would rest in him, so that we would trust in him, so that we would put the full weight of our hopes, our dreams, our understanding of what it means to be a child of God in Jesus Christ, fully in him. But John doesn't stop with this whole uh, dissertation on belief or faith, but he connects it as he always does. For John, truth and faith are always connected to love. So look at where he goes next. He wants to affirm for us that if we are born again, if you are born of God, you love God's children. Look at what he says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. One more word on that really quickly. This born of God, another way of seeing it and understanding it is to be fathered by God. And what John is saying to us is that one of the evidences that we have been fathered by God is seen in us affirming or believing what the Father has said. Us looking like the Father, not in physical appearance primarily, but looking like the Father in that our beliefs are in harmony with His. Do I want my children to look like me? Yes, I want my children to look like me, but not just physically. You know, uh, children don't always look like their parents physically. I got a daughter who looks like my mom. I don't know how that happened. But, but sometimes that happens. But the reality is, is that where fathering is most desired, uh, where you most desire your children to be like you is in their beliefs. How many parents agree with me in that? Wanting your children to affirm the things that you affirm to be true. This is the longing of the Father. And, and we know that we have been fathered by God when we fully trust and believe in Jesus. Have you put your faith in him? Do you believe in Jesus? This is how you know. But he goes on to say, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. This is, this is his way of communicating to us that when you really love God, you want to do what pleases him and love what he loves. When you truly love someone, you want to love what they love. I remember being a college student at Michigan State University and meeting the prettiest girl in the world. Later on, I got a chance to marry that girl. Uh, Yeldy Brooks, we have been married now for 23 happy years. But I remember when I met her, she was really into this uh, HGTV. Any fans of HGTV out there? Uh, I remember my wife was so happy when this whole thing debuted and, 
And man, I didn't have any, any background in that, any desire for that, but I knew I loved her. And I heard that there was this expo coming to East Lansing. It was a home and garden expo. And I said, let me take her to the home and garden expo. And fellas, here I am walking around uh, pretending like I love flowers and decorations, all because I loved her. And it was my love for her that caused me to love the things she loved. When you are in love with someone, you will begin to take on their loves. You know, one of the other bits of marital advice that I will give you that I learned along the way, don't worry, the book is being written. But one of the bits of marital advice that I'll give you is that one of the things that I learned along the way was that um, one of the primary ways I communicated to my wife that I loved her was by how I treated her family, how I treated her parents, how I treated her siblings. The more I loved them, and I kind of stumbled upon this. Nobody really explained this phenomenon to me, but it seemed like the more I loved them, the more secure she felt in our love. Conversely, the more that I was in conflict with them, the more insecure she felt in our love. Never forget that. That is true, that when you love someone, you love the people they're connected to as well. When we love God, we will love those who are born of God. You will love God's children. Now, again, don't forget the time, the nature, the audience that John is writing to because context, historical context makes a difference when you're interpreting Scripture. Understand that Christianity is vastly expanding in this time. It goes from being the faith of a small band of Jewish brothers to now invading and penetrating Gentile cultures around the world, people from different backgrounds and dialects and languages who listen to different music and eat different foods. John knew what he was saying when he challenged the believer to love God's children broadly. This isn't some easy or simple command. This is not a statement of you just being drawn to those that you feel a deep affinity to. No, true love of God, true evidence that you have been born into God's family is when you're able to love beyond cultural barriers because God's spirit is at work in you. So if that is an evidence of being born of God, Examine our hearts. This is what I think the text would have us to do. And if we see that type of love in us, that type of love that rises beyond the shallow barrier of affinity, but goes broad and expansive to loving those of various cultures and various ethnicities because of Christ and because of our love for God the Father, then we have evidence that we have been born of God but maybe you lack that love. Here's the beautiful thing, we can be born again. We can be set free from these lowly earthly loves that aren't really love at all and be liberated to a heavenly love that comes from the Father, that allows us to love broadly one another and others who will be a part of the body of Christ. Here's the rule, though, friends, is that we don't get a chance to determine who's in or who out, who's out. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be cool if God uh, brought you in and let you kind of edit the list? And you, you kind of could consult on, yeah, let her in. No, not him. You know, God doesn't invite you to that party, friends. 
He makes a decision solely by himself in his infinite wisdom and by his grace. And we need to praise God for it because if it wasn't for that, then we might not be in. I praise God that my salvation wasn't put to a collective congregational vote. It was because of him and his mercy and his grace. But here's how I know I've been born again is that when I love him, I love you. But then he goes to verse number two and he says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Now he's going to the other side of the coin. The first side of the coin is how do we know that we love the father? We love the children. How do we know we love the children? We love the father. Now, why did he write in this way? I believe he's combating two heresies that have always plagued the church. The first heresy is that somehow I can love God without loving people. The second heresy is somehow I can love people without loving or obeying God's commandments. And isn't that so prevalent in our culture today that have redefined tolerance, that somehow tolerance is to ignore the exclusive claims of the gospel, to somehow say that you're so committed to people that you'll even compromise truth? There is no truth without love, and there is no love without truth. If we truly love God's children then we will love the Father and we will keep his commandments. We will not be cold-hearted Pharisees, nor will we be uh, mushy, compromised secularists, but we will have truth and love that brings transformation and assurity. But he says to love God is to keep his commandments. What, what commandments do you think he has in his purview when he says that? Does he, does he expect in, in this moment for us to think of the 613 laws that mark the Old Testament Israelite community. I don't think that's what he's getting at. I think that what he's getting at is Matthew chapter 22. Can you keep your finger where it is right now and go with me to Matthew's gospel chapter 22, verses 36 to 38. I'm sorry, verses 36 to 40 rather record a conversation Jesus is having with a lawyer, one who is trained in the law of Israel. And the teacher of the law asked Jesus this question in verse number 36. He says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. This is it. These are the two commandments that John, I believe, has at the center of his focus and vision. This, if you get these two things, you have gotten all of the law. You understand all of the teachings of the prophets. You know what it's all about. What is the central message is for us to have two great loves. Again, this is not disconnected from verse number one. Verse number one tells us to be born again, to be born into the family of God, to be a child of God means that we have right belief. But right belief always leads to two great loves. How do I know that I have right belief? I can measure it by two great loves. Do I love God with all of my being and do I love others as I love myself? And if I, if I have these two great loves, then and only then can I be assured that my doctrine is right. Because if the doctrine you have produces a coldness towards others, 
The doctrine you have does not produce a deep fidelity and love for God and his word, then it is a false doctrine. So I can know the truth of my doctrine through the love that it produces within me. He goes on in verse number three to say, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Isn't that an interesting statement? It's easy to read, isn't it? His commandments are not burdensome, but it's highly controversial. It's a, it's a statement that I'm sure we left it up to debate. Some would say, I have a counter rebuttal to that. I think his commandments are a little bit burdensome. I'm sure some would say, man, it's hard to serve God. It is hard to do everything that he asked of us. I won't ask you to raise your hands if that's you. Uh, but the fact of the matter is a lot of us feel like, man, this is tough. It is tough being a Christian. It is tough following God. His commandments, John, do feel burdensome. But yet John here clearly says, for those who are born of God, his commandments are not burdensome. So what is the settlement of this? How do we settle this controversy? It's to understand what John is commanding us and to understand how being born of God settles the matter. Again, what he is commanding us is to love, is to love the Father and to love people. And for some, that is a great burden. Maybe one or the other, or maybe loving both is a great burden to you. It is difficult. It is arduous. It is something that if you feel like is easier to walk away from. And why is that? It's probably because you love something else, namely the world. What faith in Christ does is it allows us to overcome love of the world so that we can be liberated to love a father and to love those who have been begotten by God. Look at verses four and five. Here we learn that if you've been born of God, you have overcome the world. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Again, connecting right belief to right love. But here he opens verse four with the word F-O-R, four. That connects it to verse number three. He explains why it is burdensome. It's because of the love of the world. And that shouldn't be a surprise to us because we have already read chapter two. And if you go back to chapter two of First John, go back with me quickly if you could. Verses 15 through 17 tells us what love of the world looks like. Do not love the world, John writes in chapter 2, verse number 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Oh, there it is. Verse number 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Here he says, 
there is a great temptation that plagues humanity, and that is we love those things that our flesh desires. We love those things that our eyes see. We love the pride of possessions, and this is what marketeers have the job of doing. It is to increase our appetite and our love for this world's goods, and all of us have to monitor our own life because if we are not careful, we will be shipwrecked as we pursue these desires and chase after them. You know, one great uh, philosopher that I would encourage you to read if you're into that thing in this generation is out of Calvin College. His name is James K.A. Smith. And he has written a great book called You Are What You Love. And what he argues in that book, and I believe it to be true, is that you don't have to command someone to chase after what they love. They will just do it. And to ask them to do something other than what they love will always feel burdensome. This is the point. Let me give you an example, an illustration of this. I decided about a month and a half ago, or maybe just a month ago, uh, I decided I was going to start eating differently. I was going to finally get serious and start eating uh, better. I got a, a, a lot of kids and a long life ahead of me, and I want to be able to give them away at the altar in marriage, and I want to be able to celebrate grandbabies and all that stuff, so I got a lot to live for. But the problem that I have is that I got a love for pizza and burgers and fries. Can I get an amen and a hallelujah? I am not the only one. And so then you tell me, hey, love a salad. And that is burdensome. I'm telling you right now, it feels like a heavy, heavy way. But you know what's interesting? Is that over the month, that I've been trying to eat a little bit better, and I'm not here to write a book on this. I got a long way to go. But over the month, what I found is that you can retrain your loves. And I found that the things I used to want, I don't want anymore. Desires change, appetites change. And when you are born into God's family, that is what happens. Your loves change. James K.A. Smith writes this, Jesus is a teacher who does not just inform our intellect, but forms our very loves. He isn't content to simply deposit new ideas into your mind. He is after nothing less than your wants, your loves, and your longings. That's what he's after. And when we are born of God, we have been freed from the love of the world to love him, and my great desire is for him. And maybe that's true of you as well. Maybe you can think back to your earlier years and you can say, man, I remember a day where I wouldn't be in a church on a Sunday morning. I wouldn't be pursuing God like I pursue God. That a good time wouldn't be defined by worship. But now that you're in Christ, how many have experienced this whole phenomenon of looking back to what you used to enjoy and saying to yourself, how in the world was I that insane that I used to love doing that, going there, being around that environment? God changes our loves. And how does this victory come? And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. It is through faith, faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he is 
God in flesh, that he is the Christ who came, lived the perfect life, suffered and died on that cross so that you and I might be liberated from eternal suffering and death. He wants to give us life and he wants to give it more abundantly because he loves us. And maybe you're looking and searching your heart and you're saying, Chris Brooks, the things you just talked about are not alive in me. Well, today can be your birthday. And yes, I celebrate the fact that we uh, are 10 years uh, removed from the adoption of my oldest son and we can celebrate him being deeply entrenched in our family and the beautiful young man he is. And yes, I celebrate the seventh birthday of little Judah But today, I want to have another celebration. I want to celebrate men and women being born into God's family. So let me just say it clearly. If you have not been, be born again. Today you can be by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And if you are here in this auditorium with us, after we pray and after John Zelenik leads us in communion, come running to the altar so that we can celebrate with you that you have been born into God's family. And if you're watching me, today. Right now, just type connect so that we can connect with you and celebrate with you. Because how many agree with me that there is no greater gift in life than to be born again and to know Jesus Christ as your loving Lord and sovereign Savior? How many believe that with all of your heart? All right, we're going to take communion. Pastor John is going to come. If you're at home, get your elements. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for inviting us into your beloved family. No greater gift, no greater joy. I pray that today that uh, we would rejoice in that, and we do pray for salvation. May men and women all across this metroplex and beyond come to faith in your Son, our Savior. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Come on and give God praise. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.